0: all companies want to excel but what steps can you take to be the best in the competitive world of professional services figuring this out is more important than ever hello i'm mark david senior director of industry strategy at workday and i'm here with Jeannie Urich, managing director of service performance insight to answer that specific question SPI Research is a global research and consulting organization focused on the professional services industry. Today, Jeannie is going to talk to us about her extensive research. She'll share her insights about the technology and process changes professional services firms are embracing to make the biggest impact on their business. She will also talk about their annual benchmark survey, the SPI Research Maturity Benchmark Report. They perform every year in the professional services industry. Welcome, Jeannie.
1: Well thanks, Mark. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. I've been a big fan of the survey and your company for a long time. Jeannie, for our listeners, can you talk about SPI research and provide them some background of your firm?
1: Sure. Service Performance Insight, SPI Research, has been in business for 14 years, and we're really the go-to firm that looks at all aspects of the professional service industry. And just to put that in perspective, our benchmarks encompass this very global industry – of independent management consultancies, architecture and engineering firms, marketing and advertising firms, IT consultancies, managed service providers. If you think of it, we're really moving into a knowledge-based economy, and all of those segments of the economy are what we benchmark. Professional services is big business, Mark, as you might imagine. But just let me tell you some statistics about the U.S. There are 21 million consultants in the sectors I just talked about, and they generate over $4 trillion in revenue. Wow. This is really the fastest-growing segment of the global economy, and you're seeing highly skilled, highly specialized service organizations crop up all over the world. What we do at SPI Research is that's what we benchmark.
0: One of the most exciting things about covering this industry, Jeannie, is actually access to your annual professional services maturity benchmark study. It provides just a ton of information and insight into what's happening into this industry, So talk to us about how the study has evolved, and what is the current status of this year's survey?
1: Well, the study thankfully, has grown every year. So every year we've added hundreds of firms that participate, and that's allowed us to expand our coverage. So for example, now we're able to cover architecture and engineering firms. We do a much greater profile of marketing and advertising firms, in addition to the core of the benchmark, which started out as technology consulting. We segment the technology consulting market into independent IT and management consultancies as well as embedded firms that exist within product companies.
0: Okay, really high-growth, dynamic uh, industry. That's great. So one of the things I find very helpful in the survey is the maturity framework. Uh, This provides companies a map on best practices and a progression to get to best in class, right? So uh, it lays it all out for them. Basically providing professional services a roadmap from levels one through five of your maturity index across many different business practice areas or what you call pillars. Jeannie, what do you feel are the best ways professional services firms can use this model for their own business?
1: Well, first of all, Mark, let me just explain the pillars a little bit more. So we've divided the benchmark into five functional pillars, and you would find these in any company. There's a leadership function that sets the strategy and direction for the firm. There's a client relationships function. This is your sales and marketing business development. And the central pillar is that of talent management. So these are all the systems and processes for finding, recruiting, hiring, and ramping a talented workforce. Um, The fourth pillar is service execution. So these are all of the people, processes, and systems that make service delivery great. It's making sure that projects are delivered on time, on budget, but it's also all of the processes for collecting time and expense and billing clients. And finally, the last pillar is that of finance and operations. And all organizations have a finance and operations function, but it's especially important in services because all of the planning is around resource planning and capacity planning to deliver work. So we're going to get into these topics in a little greater detail, but these five service performance pillars really comprise any organization, but we've depicted them for service organizations in particular and described them with about 30 key metrics in each pillar. As organizations progress, they move from heroic level one maturity all the way up to fully optimized, and and they're really rocking and rolling.
0: How do these firms in this industry understand where they are today in the model, and how do the best companies come up with a plan to progress through it?
1: Well, one of the nice things is that the benchmark is quite large. In 2019, we had 622 companies as part of the benchmark. That enables us to really drill down into the sub-segments that make up the service world. For example, if you're an IT consultancy, you can absolutely pinpoint your progress against like size organizations. So you can you can dial in if you're a three hundred person IT consultancy, the benchmark will show you the averages and the best in class performance for IT consultancies of that size. Yeah, so, so you can really you can really drill down into like for like comparison.
0: Could you, Jeannie, describe a couple of the best practices, especially in like the level four, level five categories, those best in class categories that you think are most attainable and good targets for every professional services
1: firm? Yes, and I'm going to pick on the human capital management pillar because this is really central to having a a fabulous service organization. It's all around the people. There's two key metrics that I want to explore in a little greater detail, and those are attrition and billable utilization. If you're listening to this and you don't have a handle on what your attrition is for your organization or your billable utilization, I would recommend that those are two things that you start tracking. As you might imagine, attrition in a people-based, a highly skilled industry like professional services is on the rise. There's just more demand than there are people with the skills to fill those jobs. Over the past five years, we've seen Attrition, both involuntary and voluntary, tick up, and it stands at 13.9% on average now. But we have many clients that are experiencing over 30% attrition. So this is a— 30%, wow. Yeah. And what we do in great detail is if you're experiencing that kind of attrition, 30%, it's almost impossible to deliver with quality and it's almost impossible to make any money because it's so expensive and it takes so long to replace valuable workers. If you use this benchmark and you see that your attrition Is Way above 13.9%. It's probably time to think about that, to look at the root causes. Are you causing your, your consultants to travel too much? Is there too much stress? Are there product problems or management problems? And what we do throughout the benchmark is we help you justify improvement programs because we depict what your profitability should be depending on your attrition levels. Needless to say, profitability really declines um, as attrition rises.
0: Let's get into some of the meat of your research and talk about best practices within the different organizational pillars. Let's start with human capital management, since this is an area that seemed to always be lagging in terms of technology investment and business process discipline, but has really started to turn around and get more significant focus and in investment, which is great news, right? Certainly. What are What are the key improvements you have observed in the area of human capital management over the last couple of
1: surveys? Well, I'm really glad you picked that topic (laughs) because this is a hot topic and particularly for Workday. But but let me just give you some stats. Five years ago, less than 50 percent, less than actually 46 percent of the companies in our large benchmark used a human capital management application. And if they did use it, unfortunately, it was primarily a siloed payroll application. And that has really, really changed. In 2019, 62% of the firms in our study used an HCM application, and it was far more likely to be integrated with the core financial system and the professional service automation system. That really gave these organizations an ability to do planning and resource planning and then to signal to recruiting that we need some more folks and to bring them on board. Another thing that's really interesting, just, just this week, we published our first-ever human capital management end-user survey, and this gave some really pretty startling statistics about the impact of HCM applications on a people-based business. With organizations who did not use human capital management, it took a whopping 160 days That's way more than half a year to find, recruit, and ramp a new consultant. And then when they implemented HCM, they were able to cut that time from 160 days down to 112 days.
0: That's a huge improvement. This is
1: huge. So this is 48 days. Just do a little bit of math. Across our benchmark, the average consultant delivers – $1,200 worth of revenue a day, so 48 days at those kind of statistics is a $60,000 improvement for one consultant. These, These are very, very big numbers. And HCM, likewise, had a very impact on lowering employee attrition because, believe it or not, with the input of HCM, the organizations in this new study were able to lower attrition by 2%. And why was that? They were providing a lot more choice for their employees. Their employees felt that they had a better handle on managing their own careers, their own skill building, not to mention a lot less hassle in filling out those mundane, painful time cards and requesting time off.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that's the first time I've heard someone really quantify the financial value of human capital management. So that was just absolutely fantastic, Jeannie. Thanks, uh, thanks for that insight. Okay, well, let's move into the services execution pillar. Reviewing the survey from last year, uh, one of the trends I observed in your study, and it seems to be now for three consecutive years, is it is taking longer to staff resources on projects. I thought that was interesting. Can you talk about this trend and the impact on professional services businesses, and are there any best practices that could help in the area of resource management?
1: Yes. So, once again, the key system of record for managing resources in professional service consulting businesses is called professional service automation. And it is the system PSA PSA, (laughs) that, that allows you to schedule and plan and move your resources fluidly between projects. So actually, Mark, the scheduling time of getting the right teams has been fairly consistent at about nine days, but that doesn't really tell the full story because what's going on underneath the covers is that projects are getting smaller and faster and more iterative. So there's actually a lot more resource churn also in the cloud, Your average consultant can be working on four or five different client projects at the same time. As you can imagine, this is a scheduling nightmare. We definitely see that PSA is not really a nice-to-have application anymore. It's it's a got-to-have application. As a workforce grows above 20 or so consultants, you just can't do it with spreadsheets and texting and uh, iterative calls, and uh, it just doesn't work anymore.
0: The second question here, there are a lot of service execution metrics that a firm can track in the area of the service execution pillar. From a best practice perspective, what do you feel are the KPIs that need to be visible for every service line
1: leader? Well, I think you have to have a handle on project budget to actuals. You've got to really understand, are you doing a good job of estimating? And when you do that estimate, are you living up to that? And if you're not, where are projects running over? You know, what are the trouble spots and how can you quickly fix them and get back on track? So project budget to actual is incredibly important. Utilization, which we talked a little bit about, is between human capital and service execution. So you have to have a handle on what your people are doing, what their billability is, and a view for the future resources that you're going to need. Are you doing a lot more work in certain areas? Are your project managers handling too many projects. And you've got to have a handle on quality. Those are the key things that I like to look at. And then, of course, you've got to look at project size, project profitability, and the type of projects that are really the most beneficial for your clients so that you can be more repeatable and more planful and deliberate in selling those type of projects going forward.
0: Well, finally, let's talk about the finance and operations pillar. I guess this is, you call it, where the rubber meets the road in the business. Profitability seems to be a much larger concern to the finance and operations centers of a professional services firm. Obviously, it's always been in the picture, but traditionally, it seemed to be trumped by metrics like revenue and utilization. What best practices do you feel have the largest impact on profitability for a professional services business?
1: Well, I think that the finance and operations function within a service organization should really be leading the business. I think that the best organizations do much more modeling around capacity planning. They're looking at sales flow through models. They're trying to do a much better job of resource sizing. They've got a pulse on the type of projects that are really profitable And deliver a lot of value for clients, and they're harvesting through finance and operations a lot of the key metrics to make sure that there's more repeatability in the system. The other key thing about finance and operations in a people-based business is to streamline everything. There's nothing more annoying for a high-value consultant than not being able to get their expense reports in or to quickly be able to enter their timesheets or not to know where they're gonna go on Monday. All of that is really the 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 realm of finance and operations is to make that as seamless and as visible and real time as possible for the whole organization. And then of course you've got to have a handle on how you're doing. It's really interesting to me that many organizations focus a lot on the revenue side and they they focus on billable utilization and bill rates. But they don't do a good job of measuring where they're spending money. I would much rather see an organization spend spend money on sales and marketing, um, on training and IT systems to make the business go forward than to spend lots of lots of wasted time on administrative overhead, fancy facilities or or non- billable travel. And you'd be surprised at how quickly an organization can tip, from very profitable to very unprofitable if they don't keep a tight handle on the cost side of the business.
0: Yeah, and that's great. I mean, that's a lot, I think, very practical guidance uh, for those listening to this podcast. And you would think profitability, it wouldn't be very hard to track, right? I mean, that seems to be a pretty standard financial metric. But I think the dimensionalities of customer and projects and other things come in the mix here. So what are some of those barriers to really tracking and measuring profitability?
1: Certainly, if garbage in, garbage out. What we're seeing is there's a whole new advent of replacement of legacy systems, and that is painful because a lot of organizations are having to deal with the reality that they don't have a real clean set of data moving into their new systems. I think also just coming out as as you're putting in your system, we certainly provide 200 or 300 different measurements points that you could think about, but, but don't do the advanced version. Just come out with some real key metrics that you're going to use consistently, you're going to define them consistently, and you're going to measure them consistently across your business. There shouldn't be any ambiguity. And you'd be surprised how much there is. You know, between different practices, they have completely different business practices, for example. And so they're not taking advantage of economies of scale. I think it's fairly straightforward, but the devil's in the details. And it's hard, hard to run these kind of businesses without a clear set of measurements and guidelines and hygiene, if you will. That this is the way we do business here. We have certain expectations, and we're going to collect this data, and then we're going to make it very, very visible.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. They don't have an automated inventory system, right, with products and so forth. So there has to be a lot of business process discipline in in place. So, okay, Jeannie, I mean, this has been a great conversation. And I wanted to leave our audience with a view into the next survey and a little bit of a look into the future. Are there any initial observations or changes you're seeing as early results from the 2020 survey?
1: Here's some really good statistics. This has been a banner year. We're seeing revenue growth at 11%. This is several percentage points higher than we've seen over the past five years. Mm. And we're seeing employee growth, headcount growth at over 10%. So all indications are that 2019 has been a great year. And another good sign is that we're seeing that attrition is trending a little bit down from the 13.9% we saw last year to 13.1% right now. Now, I've cautioned you that all these numbers could change um, as we're in the final month of surveying. And then certainly for your listeners and for Workday, we're seeing that the usage of ERP HCM and PSA applications is on the rise.
0: Well, you know what? It doesn't get much better than this in this conversation, just a wealth of information and data and just insights and best practices. So again, thank you, Jeannie, for all of this. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Mark David, and I want to thank my guest, Jeannie Urich, for joining me on the Workday Podcast. If you like what you heard, please
1: subscribe, and thank you again for listening.